Welcome to Mogs 5 Take 2. Unfortunately, the episode that we did last week, we had some issues with the training episodes. We'll redo that one at one point, but we are making it up to you by having in the building Miss Sierra Cho, who is a wellness pro, who can also deadlift 600 pounds. And I think that's a pretty damn good summary to start off with, but I don't think that's all she encompasses as a person or athlete. So we're going to let her talk about a lot of different things today. But to start us off with a nice icebreaker, um, we did a little poll, got a bunch of different questions from uh, from fans, and the one that we're going to go with today is, <laughs> who would survive the longest in a zombie apocalypse, and why? Sierra, paint your case for your survival, or choose someone else if you think, you know, John or someone's <laughs> way uh, better suited for this. I mean, I think I could survive pretty long in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, I know how to shoot a gun pretty well. I was in the army for six years, so I know how to like, you know, camp, set up camp, like all that kind of shit, like out in the wilderness and just kind of like survive without, you know, fun stuff. So I feel like I could last, but also I don't know if I would want to, to be completely honest. <laughs> That's something that I've thought about a lot when I watch like zombie shows is I'm just like, okay, like, yeah, you're surviving, but like, not to be morbid, but why? <laughs> so, sure. yeah, I don't know. I feel like I could. I feel like I could handle it for a while, and then, like you know, we'll see. I have my limits. <laughs> trying to All think. Right, who's next? I don't know. I mean, for the guys, it's like you know, we don't have any endogenous test production left in us after all these years. So, I mean, how well are we going to do if our new normal becomes just being like a pathetic little soy boy out there trying to hunt and protect from other tribes and stuff? I don't think it's going to go too well. Yeah, I think having test levels at like 20 or 30 would be pretty bad trying to survive. That wouldn't be And it's like no AI. You guys are just like out in the forest, the zombies just, attack, and you guys just start crying. <laughs> uh, well, actually, that would be... Okay, I know everybody's always like, oh, I would survive longer, whatever. I'd die. That <laughs> would scare the crap out of me. Like, I don't even... I don't like horror movies at all. That's... Uh, I'm a pussy. I don't like that. So, if there were actually flesh-eating, like things coming towards me i'd just probably freeze and let them eat me I, like i that would be yeah. just terrifying i don't think i could go through that because like why again why, why do you want to survive in that yeah <laughs> yeah there's not exactly uh something to get to you're just surviving for no fucking reason <laughs> i actually you know what okay this is really like okay this is bad but I'd probably kill myself. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's insensitive to anybody out there. I don't mean any, don't mean anything negative towards that. But I, in an actual zombie apocalypse, I would probably kill myself. What's the point? You know. I, I think I'd just be like, all right. I mean, this is probably the only acceptable time to try heroin. I'd be like, I got nothing to lose, man. And like you yeah. said, man, like you might as well just unalive yourself at that point. So just go out in bliss, dude. Like just while they're just like tearing your flesh apart and everything, you're just on cloud, not nine. You're on cloud like one thousand and ten, just fentanyl out. Well, well yeah, no, out. I mean, you know, 
I don't know about you guys. Listen, I would. I'm not a drug addict. I have no desire to be that. But I'm sure you've thought, man, what's it like to take heroin? What does meth feel like? Like these people ruin their lives for that. It must be fantastic. So it's like, I'm never going to do that. But if I'm in that situation, it's a definitely a good idea to maybe see what that feels like. Because apparently it's just like a thousand times better than the best thing you've ever felt in your life. So it's like, it's a good excuse to try it out. And then just die. I, I don't know if I should like say this, but I dated a chick that in her like a little, a decent bit before I met her, she got into drugs real early. She dated a guy who had an injury in the military, got hooked on Oxy, came back, did heroin, got her into heroin, and then they also did some meth at some point. So the really sad answer is that if you're using a downer like heroin or stronger, like at one point she and her boyfriend at the time were doing fentanyl. She's like, yeah, that just, it doesn't even feel good. It just completely numbs you. They're like, yeah, I mean, it's it's like one thing if you're super high. She's like, but people that do that, like they are just escaping reality 24 seven. And then they're obviously just hooked on it. But then on the total opposite end with meth, apparently um, meth sex is crazy. You just go for hours and hours and hours and hours and you don't care how much it hurts. You just want to keep going because it feels amazing and your brain is just like, in that zone, um, you can say inherently here. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like this all stuff that you've heard, right? <laughs> I mean, do I look like I've done meth <laughs> without Don't the beard? Yeah, without the beard, I look like I've done meth. Looks <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I've done donuts more than meth with, with this little sack right here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what's deadlifting 600 pounds like as a female? Because I know what it's like doing it as a fat guy, but uh, I fucking imagine being like half the weight that I was and doing that shit without my spine just snapping in half. Um, it was really like not bad. I mean, it's painful. Like for sure, powerlifting is just like really painful, which is like one of the reasons I kind of like didn't want to do it anymore. Your body's always hurting, your elbow's hurting. And it's like, the worst part is your elbow's not hurting like when you bench press, because that would make sense, right? No, my elbow hurts my squat. Like my elbows are killing me when I squat. Like when I bench, my elbows are fine, but my knees hurt when I bench from like pushing on the bench. Like everything hurts all the time. Your back's always hurting. Like your neck is somehow always like misaligned. Like you're always got something like fucked up and I don't miss that at all. It was really, really, really cool. Like deadlifting 600. Um, it was like, you know, probably one of the like coolest things I've done, I think, like in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like hurts. It's not like everyone's like, oh, you know, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do a big yo. You don't know what my body felt like at that point. Yeah, I did powerlifting, and uh, you really nailed it with the aches and pains. Like, when I switched mm -hmm. from powerlifting to bodybuilding, I was like, oh, I don't have to live in chronic pain 24-7. Yeah. yeah. Talking about the elbows on the squats, for, for people that don't understand how that happens, if your shoulder mobility is bad enough, you just can't get your arms behind the bar, especially for a low bar squat where it sits way lower on your back than it does yeah. for most of the ways that bodybuilders squat. Bodybuilders aren't going to know the difference between a high bar and low bar squat typically, but what the difference is, is high bar is going to sit not so much on your rear delts. It's going to sit more so on like your upper trap type area. Like some people put it almost on their neck, which I, whatever, everyone's different, but I don't like that idea too much. Um, but then low bar, it's like, yeah, you're resting and on your rear delts, 
So you have to have enough back and root development to actually do that. But you have to be able to get your hands and your elbows weirdly low without your elbows pointing straight backwards, or then you will get thrown forward at the bottom of the squat. Of course, those exceptions, people, some people are already super lean far forward, so it doesn't matter. But trying to pin yourself into that position to do this all this weird contortionist shit with a low bar squat and a sumo deadlift with your feet out super wide and with a bench with, you know, arching as much as you can since we're all trying to lift the most amount of weight in powerlifting. That's, you know, don't hate us for the rules, you know, just hate the rules. And, uh, yeah, it, how do you feel about uh, the whole, like, bench rule thing with USAPL? What were, what were your thoughts on that super controversial decision? So, on one hand, it's like, I do feel like something needed to happen because, like, some of that was getting, like, ridiculous. Like some of it was just getting freaking crazy to where I do feel like something needed to happen, but also like bench like depth. I don't know. Something just doesn't sit right with me with that. Like, what do you mean depth? Cause like for me as like a person who like can arch, but not like excessively, like I still have to move the bar a good, like eight to 10 inches. Like it's not like, you know, those two to three inch ROMs, like those, you know, some girls and some guys can do. Um, I don't think even my elbows like hit depth. So, I mean, I guess I have it measured, you know, it's been a while since I've bench pressed over like two years, but. What was the rule? Because I, I, I'm sure Ben doesn't know, um, you know, it's been a while since I like to consider myself what would have been a power lifter. I know like the crazy arcs and stuff that you guys are talking about. And I pretty good difference between a low and a high bar squat, but what was the rule that got implemented? So in the squat, right? You have like depth. So that means that your hip crease has to yeah. go below the top of your knee, not the top of your quad, but the top yeah. of your knee. So they had the same thing for bench press oh. that your elbows had to like reach below parallel in order to be counted as a bench press. So essentially your elbows would have to sink below, um, Ben, you could probably tell me what muscle this is or not muscle, uh, bone, right? The elbow would have to go below, like maybe uh, like your shoulder or something like that. Gotcha. Exactly. It's, it's only, uh, I think it was only, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was only implemented, I don't even know if it was in the IPF, which is like the International Natty Federation. I'm pretty sure it was just in what was kind of directly linked with the IPF in the United States, which is the USAPL, which is the, I'm not going to say Natty, I'm just going to say very heavily tested division of powerlifting. <laughs> um yeah, I won't speak too much on that, but anyone who's followed powerlifting for a while knows that certain people fell off quite rapidly uh, as soon as they increased their drug testing. And there's still people that really make us question just how much can be genetic and hard training versus mm, just like they're a very interesting anomaly. They're a very interesting anomaly. <laughs> and we like controversial stuff, but I see Sierra nodding her head in agreement. So please drive in there if you've got uh, any spicy takes. I mean, I try not to be too spicy because, like, you know, people love USAPL and they're trying to, like, make it to the Olympics or whatever and take drug tests or take drug tests, take powerlifting to the Olympics. So, like, I can appreciate, like, what they're trying to do, but also I don't necessarily feel like they're doing it, like, a good way. Mm -hmm. um, I also, if I'm not raw, if I'm not mistaken, I think they got removed from the IPF. That's that's what I was trying to yeah. ask. Yeah, because, and here here's what's funny about it, too, like, but I agree with you when you're saying, hey, like, you know, if anyone's going to make it to the Olympics, it's going to be that. But, you know, the IPF would be the overall organization that would make it. 
But then the USAPL was like, hey, we actually want to do stricter drug testing. We want to have some of these rules in place that would legitimize the sport so that large crowds wouldn't just be like, LOL, look at that one-inch bench and one-inch sumo deadlift. You know, we want it to actually look like it at least somewhat represents strength rather than contortionist stability with a little bit of strength. <laughs> um, but then the IPF was like, no, 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 that's too much drug testing. We follow exactly what the um, IOC, yeah. the International Olympic Committee, says you should do. And the USAPL is like, I mean, that's cool. And we still want to you know, be part of this organization that makes it to the Olympics. But we're not going to back down on our right to actually try to make this the drug-free choice for U.S. powerlifting. So I don't know. It seems a little sus that the IOC wouldn't be like, more drug testing? Good. But they got money to make. So, you know, they got to let people uh, scooch by sometimes. So... But for everyone that doesn't know, by the way, most people at the very high level of sports are on drugs, whether it's tested or not. There's a lot of people that aren't aware of that, but that's a fucking thing. Hard facts, NFL, NBA. Ben, you got something to say? <laughs> I, I was just going to say, yes, your favorite football player is probably on test. Just saying. Yeah. I'm mad. In the NBA, if you get injured, you're allowed to take 200 megs of tests. In the NFL, there's plenty of people that have gone on record saying that they've taken HGH for recovery protocols. Like, there's, it's even allowed during certain um, instances in certain sports too. So, figured I should just let people know that. Sorry to ruin all your heroes for you, but uh, if something looks too good to be true, and just just think about it logically, if you're getting paid an insane amount of money to be the best at something, and you've worked your whole life to be the best at something, and other people are on shit. Gee, buddy, you're probably also on shit. So there's that. But um, so how's bodybuilding compared to powerlifting now that we've talked about some of the interesting sides of uh, that very wild, dramatic sport? Well, let's, like, let's do an introduction. Like who is Ciara? Sierra, the wellness pro who deadlifts 600 pounds. You mentioned military, like Let's hear a little bit about like your story as to how we got to today. Because I know you're also sponsored by Iron, Iron Rebel. You gave me a pair of awesome knee sleeves so you can stop making fun of me. Um, ben is also sponsored by Iron Rebel. So shout out to them. Maybe they'll sponsor the podcast and we'll get a 10% discount code. No, Sierra. Thank you. But yeah, who are you? How did we get here to today, basically? Oh, so as like cliche and as dumb as it might sound like I've been in fitness like my whole life. Um, when I was a kid, like one of my first memories of like my mom is like her doing like step aerobics out in the like living room. She used to teach like fitness classes since I was like five years old. Um, one of my first jobs was like teaching a fitness class at the gym. I used to teach Zumba in high school. <laughs> um, I did sports all growing up, softball, volleyball, basketball, track, um, dance team. Uh, yeah, I think it's mostly it. And then once I got out of high school, I joined the military because, you know, what else do you do when you don't have money to pay for college? Um, I was in the National Guard, so it was like reserves for six years. I was stationed, not stationed, you choose your, like, where you live. I was in Iowa, and then I decided I wanted to move to Hawaii in like 2014. Yeah, and then I lived in Hawaii for like four years until 2018. Once I got out of the military, I was just like, oh, like I'm going to go somewhere else. I wanted to expand my business because I was coaching at that time. And then I moved to California 
and then I met my husband when we moved to Vegas. Um, but in the middle there, so in poise, like where I really started getting into powerlifting. I started in college in Iowa, but I got like really serious when I moved to Hawaii and I went to Mono Barbell. Um, I met my coach, Darren. He's like super old school, like West Side, you know, if everyone knows like Louis Simmons, like West Side method, that was very like his thing. We would train Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for from like four o'clock until sometimes we wouldn't get out to like eight, eight thirty. It was really like cool because it was a really like unique um it was a really unique like training situation where it was like 16 or 20 of us in this small like warehouse gym. We had like four squat racks, two of them were combo racks, actually three of them were combo racks, one monolift and one just like cage. And there would be like four, three, four, five of us on each rack, just like based on like how much you lift in each lift. And then based like off of that, you would go off of your like percentages for the day. Everybody would be like racking weights for each other. You'd be like, you know, handing off, spotting, like loading, like everyone knew how to do everything because you had to do that for your training every single day. It was a really cool, like really, like I said, unique like training situation. So he trained like all of us, but somehow we all had our own program, but also we're running like similar programs, but it was like bending on like what it is you needed to work on. And then we would all do our accessories together. And so for me, like powerlifting was very much like a team sport. It was really cool, which is like not normal thing. Like normally powerlifting range, just you, but what was really cool and what really like stuck with me over the years was like, my coach used to tell me you get stronger when your teammates get stronger when you can help everyone else out around you, that's when you're going to get stronger too. Like, this isn't just about you. This is about everybody. And that was something that really like stuck with me over the years. Um, do you want me to keep going or sorry? I didn't know if you were going to say oh, something. That was, that was really good. I, I really like when you said you, um, you get stronger. What was it? When your teammates get stronger. Yeah. I was, I was writing that down. That oh, okay. So, like, you know, timestamp that one real quick. <laughs> when, um, so then when I moved to California, I was still powerlifting. I was actually going through an injury at the time. I hurt my like low back. I had changed my, I changed coaches just cause I needed someone who worked online. And my coach was like, like I said, super old school. He only did in person. So I had to get an online coach and he was like, you know what? Let's fuck with your squat a little bit. Like, I know you squat, what was it at the time? Like 400, like I know you squat 400, but I feel like we could just make your squat a little bit better. And this was the moment that I learned, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because this injury, this like one little squat tweak fucked me up for like a year, over a year. Um, I couldn't, de I went from deadlifting 500, like fairly easily to like not being able to pick up 315 off the floor. I couldn't bend over to tie my shoes. It was like, he had just changed like my pelvic position in my squat and it completely like messed up my alignment, completely fessed up everything. I couldn't do anything. So eventually I made my way back. I hit my like first 1100, like four, so 400 squat, 200 bench, 500 deadlift. And from there is when I started working with Andy from Iron Rebel. And he helped me bring that up to, what is it? My last meet that I did that I broke like top four all time in my weight class was 446 squat, 237 bench and a 578 deadlift. Wow. Uh, Andy is, is Andy is the big Asian guy, right? Yeah. The huge Asian guy. Yeah. He did bodybuilding too, right? He did. Did he prep for uh, a comp at one point? He started with bodybuilding and then went to powerlifting. Oh, wow. You don't hear that a lot. Yeah. It's like, he's a little opposite of um, most people, but yeah, he was a really good coach. And then, um, when I finished with that meet, I was just kind of like lost because that would have been my goal forever. Like I always just wanted to break like top five in my weight class. Cause like, honestly, for me, like four to two is the same. 
Like, I don't really care if I'm two, three or four, I'm still top five. And like, I'm never going to break number one. Like that girl is insane. <laughs> She's just like way more drugs than I'm willing to take way better genetics than I have. And she broke those records when she was like 19. And I'm just like, ah, like I'm just good. You know, like I'm really happy where I'm at. I hit my lifetime goals. And so I think I'm going to be done here. I want to do something else. And so my husband, he does men's physique. And he was prepping for a show at the time. I was like, I think I want to do bodybuilding. And he was like, okay, like you eat chicken nuggets post-workout. Like you're going to do bodybuilding. <laughs> he said, you legitimately like think it's okay to eat chicken nuggets post-workout. Like, why do you think that you're going to do like, if you follow a diet for three weeks, like I'll take you serious. So I was like, okay. So I did. And we did my first prep together. He coached me for my first prep. My first prep, I won the overall at my first show. And then I did the Olympia amateur. I got first place, but they only do top three overall for pro. So I missed my pro card by one spot. So how many weeks did you diet for that? The first prep there? 17. So 17 total or 17 to the first show. And then you carried on to the Olympia. Uh, it was 16 to the first show, 17 to the second show. Cause it was like, so nine days. in your first year competing, you went from, I'm going to stop eating chicken nuggets to missing my pro card by maybe a placing or so. Right. By one spot. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, it was a cool year. It was a cool year. So then like, because I missed my pro card by one spot, I was like, <coughs> but her, it's like, um, I went into, I went and I got, they told me like, I was like way too hard through my upper body that I was like almost grainy, which is true. Like I was like pretty grainy because I had still had so much mass from powerlifting that I think I didn't have that like balance. So I went and got like my breast augmentation done because I was just like, you know what? Like, I don't know how fast I'm going to be able to like lose muscle up here. Like I've been powerlifting for what, eight, nine years at this point. Like this muscle is not just going to like go away. So in order to have like the balance, I decided to like go and get my surgery done. Um, I mean, it wasn't just for bodybuilding. Like, you know, I'm a girl. I've always wanted this stuff. <laughs> but it was just a nice like coincidence and a nice like okay now I have a reason to do it you know so I went and got that done I had to take some time off for that obviously and then we went into my second prep when to go to university to try to turn pro um, my second prep was like so much harder than my first prep um, I don't know why it was just so hard but it was just so hard like between like not doing a really good off season um, of course I work in like powerlifting to like, you know, starving for bodybuilding that I was just like, Oh, I just want to eat everything. And so of course, like I gained weight in the off season. I didn't do my off season. Right. And then just kind of like going into prep, like I was kind of able in my first prep to like fuck around a little bit. Like, I don't know why, but the weight was just like falling off like three, four pounds in my first, like five, six, seven weeks that it was like, I was able to kind of like fuck around a little bit that when my second prep came around, I was like, Oh, like it was fine last time. And it was not fine. It was not fine and it kind of like mentally ruined my whole prep for me because I knew that I didn't do my best. That even though I went and I did get my pro card, I knew that I didn't do my best. And so like, I felt really like bad about myself and I felt like I didn't like deserve that win. Question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think the reason the first prep, the pound started flying off was just because you optimized so many things that weren't optimized before between diet specifically for bodybuilding and fat loss, um, training that was, you know, more hypertrophy focused. And then also additionally, probably extra leg focused. And as you were saying, you know, probably no upper body or close to no upper body training. So you would have even more recovery for the legs. Like, do you think that any of that, um, played a big role in why the first one was 
like easier because you almost had like newbie gains specifically for bodybuilding in a sense yeah i think so for sure and then like also my training like i was still training upper body i was actually training with uh, my husband had like another like team at the time that like, he had his like um team with like men's physique guys and i would train like um shoulder and back day with them and then i would do like two leg days or maybe it was like two shoulder one back or something like that but i trained with them like three or three days a week and then i trained on my own two days a week so it was like a little different like for sure though it was a lot more hypertrophy focused it was a lot more like energy output than like powerlifting and then plus cardio and like all of that um i was like eating relatively like cleanish like i wasn't eating chicken nuggets at that time it was like when i was in powerlifting still but we had like cleaned up my diet a lot to go into that like top four last meet so it's not i would say that the um like diet like food changes were like crazy just because like we had cleaned it up a lot but it was like obviously a lot of a deficit. It was like way more cardio than I've ever done. I've never done cardio like that before, before like my body, but I didn't prep. And then like changing my training. So I think like everything, and then you're right. Like it's like a newbie class almost going into that first prep. So I have a question then because Jensen also coaches his, um, his girlfriend. Is it not girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a couple things because I know, Ben does not work with any uh, females, but he does. I know at one point, Ben, you were coaching your soon-to-be, you know, life partner. Um, Jensen coaches his girlfriend. I coach Andrea, obviously, as you know. I have a couple questions, and I'm sure that a lot of the listeners would want to hear. The period of recovery after getting your breast augmentation, how stressful was that, especially for – I'm sure a lot of people battle the, like, mental, right? Even just as us as guys is like – I hurt my back probably six weeks ago in a period I was like, I can't even train. I can't lift. I can't deadlift. So like, what was that like? Hey, for four weeks, you can't do anything. Right. Um, and then in terms of after your first show, we've all covered this before. Ben had a pretty good story. How bad was your first rebound? <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> Um, so as far as like after my surgery, um, so my doctor said I could go back to like walking after two weeks. So I started doing steps again after two weeks. Um, I went back to like personal training my clients, but I just like, didn't like, I made them load their own weights, which like shitty personal trainer, but it was that or no session at all. So I just made them kind of like load their own plates and then, um, just was like walking. So it wasn't too bad. It was really only like two weeks off, but I was like, in so like, I mean, it wasn't in like a ton of pain, but it was just so uncomfortable. Like I couldn't like sit up. That was like the biggest thing was like trying to sit up out of the bed was really hard. So that was like frustrating. And then like the worst part is just having to lay on your back. Like, I know it sounds like so simple, but like laying on your back and it hurts after so long, it does not feel good <laughs> to just lie flat on your back. And you can't like lean to the side because like you've got extra shit in here that's going to move around and it hurts. And so you have to lay like on your back. So it's like sleep gets kind of hard. Like just everything gets a little bit harder just because you can't fucking move. And were you battling any demons of like, I know for me, especially when I'm sure we all probably like now, Ben and I talk about like, I'd rather not work out. Um, but uh, when you're so obsessive at certain points, right? Like I'm sure like right now with you in prep, you're like, oh man, I can't miss workouts and things like that. Did you deal with any of that? Or were you in so much pain that you were just like, I don't even care about going to the gym right now. I just want to not hurt. 
Mm, I wasn't so I wasn't in like that much pain to be honest like I mean it hurt of course and it, but it was more like hurting like when I'm like moving and like specifically doing certain things so it wasn't necessarily that but also like I was kind of like I don't know I was in a funk just because I missed my pro card by one spot like I came in and like to be honest like this is gonna sound like petty but I I felt like and like everyone else that I talked to like felt like I looked better than the girl who got like third place like a lot yeah. And so it was kind of one of those, like, did I really just not win? Because, like, I didn't have, like, boobs. Like, I was the only one who didn't get pro, and I was the only one who didn't have them. And everyone else did. Everyone else had, like, that look. But I still kind of had, like, a powerlifter look. But I had way more, like, muscle development through my lower body than, like, the other two did. And so, not the first place. First place was, like, poof, she looked crazy. But I had a lot more development through my, like, lower body. So I was, like, in this type <coughs> of, like, oh, like... You know, do I even like want to do this? Like, you know, I really want to turn pro, but just like, oh, like, you know, it kind of sucks. And so for me, it was just, it felt like a, a necessary step to get where I wanted to be. And so it wasn't like, oh, like I can't train, I can't train. I was like, oh, well, I can't train upper body. Like after two weeks, I can start to go into the gym and do my lower body. So after two weeks, I did like walking. And then like, I think I did like one day, I just did like 10 sets of extensions, 10 sets of curls. And that was it. And then like the next week I went and I did two days and I did like, you know, extensions, curls and like something else. And then the next day I did like three days. So it was like, I wasn't out for like too long to where it was like messing with me like mentally. And the only time I took off six weeks off of my upper body, but it wasn't because like my doctor made me, it was just because like, I wanted to take that time off my upper body to like, let it like shrink a little bit. Yeah. Cause looking back now, like I well thinking back now, I was like, Oh, I don't feel like I really lost that much size. Like I really still feel like I'm like way too big. And then I look back and I'm like, Oh shit. Like I was dense. Like I was a big girl. Like I had like pecs, like big pecs, you know? So it's like nice. I've like taken off some of that size, but, um, that was more like my thing was just like, all right, I got to shrink my upper body. I got to shrink my upper body. I got to shrink my upper body. So I wasn't like too focused on not being able to train super hard at the time. Okay. And would, do you have any, I'm sorry, Jensen, just, uh, do you have any advice to any of the females or Andrea that you would recommend? I'm sure, you know, the other two guys here, they also are in relationships. Do you have any advice that you would recommend to them in terms of being a partner or someone who is going through a breast augmentation that like anything like, Hey, I would have wish I would have done this. I wish I would have known this. So, so for me too, I went over the muscle, so it wasn't as bad, but I would recommend going under the muscle. I just think that it's like better, a better look. I think that it's, um, better like for long term. I just don't really, I mean, I love the way that they look, you know, like on me, like it's fine, especially in off season, but during like prep, it's like, I do wish I would have gone under the muscle, but at the time, like my pecs were too developed that they said it would have like, I would have either had to go like really small or they would have had to put in expanders just because like my pecs were too tight and I didn't want to go through that whole process and it's expensive if they do multiple surgery, like that's a lot. So I didn't want to have to do that. Um, so I would say for sure, go under the muscle, go bigger than you think, because even if you want like a natural look and you end up going like smaller, like later on down the road, you're gonna be like, okay, this is like too natural. Like, why did I even get them done if they're gonna look like this? <laughs> um, and then I always say like, as a partner, just be careful driving home because it is an outpatient procedure. You're going to get in and out same day that we, uh, we're driving home through like, California traffic and like he was doing his best, you know, but driving home through California traffic, a lot of start and stops, a lot of like bumps in the road. And that shit hurts so bad when you're like driving and it's like bumping. 
it mm. sucks. So just like really, really like be gentle when you're driving and like leave 10 minutes earlier than you think you need to from like, you know, wherever you're going, if they're going with you, just because that's like probably one of the worst parts was like driving to and from the doctor's appointments like every day. Um, also as a partner, be prepared to like help her out of bed because sitting up is so hard. Like you have to think your incisions are like right, right in your like, you know, top, top of your abs, like under your breasts. And so when you sit up, like you have to work, especially if you're going under the muscle, you have to work those muscles and that shit hurts. For me, what really sucked was like, he ended up getting sick the day after I got my surgery done. Like, I don't know what happened. He got like a flu or like a stomach bug or like food poisoning or something. So he's like throwing up in the middle of the night and I just got the, you know, my surgery done and I'm just like, okay, one, two, and I'm like rolling out of bed to try and like take him water because he's like fucking vomiting all night. So try not to get sick if you can, you know, that should suck. <laughs> like there was anything like you could do about it. It wasn't his fault, but that was like not fun for me. So no. just like be ready if you can to like pull up like from the shoulders to like help her sit up because that shit hurts so bad. <laughs>